Welcome to the Clean Earth Energy Podcast. This is episode eight. Well, actually, it feels like episode one all over again because it's been a long hiatus since I've done a podcast. Uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, in this episode, we're going to cover mobility and electric vehicles. Uh, so the key topics today are Hyundai, Kia, Toyota, the Sony Honda tie-up, uh, IKEA, and its autonomous vehicles. And we're also going to look at some other things pertaining to the world of e-mobility and electric vehicles as well. So thanks for checking out the show. I hope you enjoy it, and let's go. Okay, so... The focus for this podcast, uh, and going back quite a few episodes, uh, is the United States, and all of a sudden, it's pushed toward the energy transition with renewable energy, uh, wind energy, solar power, uh, and so on. And now the push is for the uh, sort of acceleration of electric vehicles inside the United States, and um President Biden and his administration uh, have a green energy agenda. There's been quite a bit of controversy around it, but there's also been quite a bit of traction around it uh, over the past several months. And so what does that mean? Uh, well, now there is the Inflation Reduction Act. And uh, if you don't know about that act, uh, several uh, sort of uh, policies and initiatives aim toward advancing or accelerating or, ex or even uh, expanding renewable energy and electrification inside the U.S. And uh, one of the big things, uh, it, was, it was tied up in uh, Senate for quite some time, uh, namely with uh, Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat out of West Virginia, uh, really refusing to um, put his signature on Biden's clean energy agenda without some conditions to be met. And that's been pretty pivotal, um, that sort of uh, Senator Manchin could hold out on uh, signing or, or giving his vote to the clean energy agenda, Biden's clean energy agenda, uh, rather than sort of a sort of full-on commitment to the energy transition and electrification in the U.S. So that takes me to our first topic, and that is Hyundai-Kia. Now, one of the key stipulations around the Inflation Reduction Act and, and Biden's clean energy agenda is the EV tax credit. And if you don't know the EV tax credit, uh, there is up to $7,500 in rebates on the purchase of a qualifying electric vehicle inside the United States. Now, there is a cap on the number of vehicles that are eligible for that a rebate. So a company like Tesla, for example, has already sold out of its allotment of vehicles in which the energy credit is available or the EV credit is available. And I believe that number, if I'm not mistaken, is 200,000 vehicles. And uh, you have Toyota now who is in a similar situation as well as General Motors. Uh, and what that means is uh, uh, vehicles like the Prius uh, plug-in hybrid or the Tesla, uh, the whole Tesla line, uh, as well as uh, Chevy Bolt. These vehicles have sold in such volumes that the EV tax credit is no longer available uh, to those manufacturers. Now, those companies are trying to push for an extension of the credit, uh, again, since the agenda is for an electrification push. However, uh, Senator Manchin, again, from West Virginia, doesn't believe that 
the EV tax credit should exist. His, his sort of, in his words to kind of paraphrase him, why are we giving tax credits on electric vehicles? Um, in effect, uh, electric vehicles are sort of um, uh, really a, a luxury of the masses, more or less, uh, in terms of the price points of these vehicles and who can afford them. So uh, his argument is that there should be no expansion of the EV tax credit or extension of the EV tax credit, especially when you consider the average selling price of a Tesla is about $50,000. The average U.S. consumer uh, cannot afford a $50,000 vehicle. Uh, the price point or the target price point would generally be about $35,000. Okay, so going back to my point, now this takes me to Hyundai Kia. Uh, Hyundai Kia have really sort of um, uh, sort of accelerated quite rapidly, no pun intended, with their electrification strategy. Uh, they have vehicles like the Hyundai Ioniq, uh, so there's the Ioniq 5 um, vehicle, there's the uh, Kia EV as well, and um, I think that's the Kia EV6, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, these vehicles have done very well and uh, really have uh, given uh, Hyundai Kia quite a bit of prominence in, in a short amount of time in the electric vehicle space. Even uh, Elon Musk, a Tesla CEO, going on record to say that Hyundai is doing very well. Well, if you um, look at uh, or if you visit one of my previous podcasts, um, I talked about Hyundai's plans inside the U.S., roughly a $10 billion investment. And what does that mean? Well, the investment is for a $5 billion uh, EV manufacturing facility inside the United States, and that is going to be in the state of Georgia, uh, somewhere near the Savannah, Georgia area. But there's also an additional $5, five, excuse me, $5 billion targeted toward just the acceleration of electric, electrification and e-mobility inside the U.S., so Hyundai Kia has really uh, some very ambitious plans, some very big plans uh, to um, expand their, their EV portfolio inside the United States. However, the rub for Hyundai Kia is that those vehicles are not eligible for the $7,500 tax credit, and it has caused quite a bit of uh, uh, displeasure um, from Hyundai Kia as well as the South Korean government. Uh, even with the uh, uh, South Korean Prime Minister, uh, pre I'm sorry, South Korean President Yoon, uh, even speaking with the Biden administration and also Vice President Kamala Harris as well, directly on this issue, saying that this is a real issue for South Korea uh, as well as Hyundai Kia. Uh, Hyundai Kia also has lobbied the Biden administration. Uh, for a revision of the policy or an extension of the policy where those vehicles can be eligible for the $7,500 rebate. Now, Hyundai Kia has lobbied aggressively, as I said previously, but they have even threatened to cancel their plans for the Georgia uh, EV manufacturing plant, the $5 billion plant that I just mentioned, and uh, moving that to Mexico. Uh, but that plan has since been abandoned uh, because it could potentially put Hyundai Kia's ambitions inside the U United States in an even worse position uh, when going back uh, to the Trump administration and the revision of NAFTA 
with Canada and Mexico, and uh, there being certain stipulations around the production of vehicles uh, that are eligible for sale in the, the U.S. There has to be a certain uh, uh, parts content uh, sourced from the U.S. and even some um, uh, manufacturing uh, uh, sort of presence as well uh, for a um, foreign automaker uh, to be able to uh, sell a vehicle inside of North America. So uh, Hyundai Kia ha have obviously rethought their strategy. So it will be interesting to see. Now, the other part of that that I, I didn't get to is um, Senator Manchin has been quite prominent in, in sort of the, the, the vote and the passage of Biden's clean energy agenda. And why is this causing such a problem for a, a company like Hyundai Kia? Well, it's not just Hyundai Kia. Volkswagen has raised this issue as well as other European manufacturers. However, you don't hear the Europeans um, really sort of making as much noise over this issue because uh, companies like Volkswagen has a plant in Tennessee, uh, Smyrna, Tennessee, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, BMW has a large manufacturing operation in South Carolina, and Mercedes-Benz has a large operation in Alabama. So they are able to qualify for a, a lot of the clean energy um, uh, uh, benefits uh, under the Biden, uh, Biden clean energy agenda. So they're not making as much noise about it. However, it has raised the attention of uh, the European Union. However, uh, South Korea and Japan uh, are in a, in a bit of a different position uh, as it pertains to the uh, uh, sort of incentives or the uh, benefits of the uh, Biden Clean Energy Administration. So the point is, is that uh, Senator Manchin wants an agenda that is focused on investment in the U.S. And I talked about this previously, uh, where a lot of the attention has been on China and, and a lot of production out of China, uh, which has uh, made itself, made its way over to the U.S., or some of U.S. technology being exported to China in order to uh, fuel a lot of the innovation and developments out of China, now the U.S. has decided that it is going to enact policy where uh, manufacturers, uh, suppliers must have a meaningful presence inside the United States, it's inside the United States, and there must be investment inside the United States for them to really reap the benefits. And this is really impacting um, the, the strategies and, and the future planning of many of these large companies. Uh, and so uh, Hyundai Kia is, is really lobbying hard. I invite you to uh, research uh, that topic. They're lobbying hard uh, to, to get some revisions of the policy. Um, if you look at Toyota, uh, the state of California, and, and possibly 11 other states, as well as New York State, uh, are uh, planning to implement a 2035 ban on gas vehicles. Actually, it's a 2030 ban, if I'm not mistaken. And suddenly, Toyota, who has been uh, very reluctant to pursue uh, an outright electrification strategy, has announced a $5.3 billion investment back in late August. Uh, Honda, similarly, two days before, announced a $4.8 billion investment in electric electrification inside the U.S. Uh, so uh, this agenda has certainly gotten the attention of some very large global companies. Um, so my take on it is uh, I have no disagreement uh, with uh, the the requirements or the mandates set out uh, by the, the Biden administration and his clean energy agenda. Uh, for example, uh, we don't 
see American companies getting the same opportunities uh, inside South Korea or inside Japan, for example, uh, and, and to some extent uh, into Europe as well. And so certainly uh, uh, the balance has shifted and, and the U.S. is flexing its um, economic power uh, as well as its political power uh, to really uh, create uh, quite a bit of, uh, of discomfort for some large global manufacturers. So to that end, I'm going to move on to Toyota. So Toyota now is rethinking its electrification strategy. Now, uh, Toyota has been very vocal that they don't believe that electrification um, is really the way to go uh, as it relates to uh, the future of the automobile. And I'm not saying electrification outright. What I'm saying is the battery electric vehicle. And so what Toyota be believes is that uh, there are other ways uh, to reduce carbon emissions from vehicles other than battery electric vehicles. And so they're considering technologies like hydrogen. Obviously, they have hybrid technology that they pioneered with the Prius. Uh, and then also battery electric vehicles make a small, very small portfolio of uh, Toyota's um, uh, automobile lineup. Uh, now, Toyota is the world's largest global or the world's largest auto manufacturer. They are obviously a global auto manufacturer. So when we look at markets like, uh, let's say, Africa or India, for example, and even here in Japan, where I'm doing this broadcast from, uh, Toyota does not have a lot of incentive to pursue battery electric vehicles outright because many of these countries uh, do not have the infrastructure to support electrification. And then also they are very dominant here in Japan where they get to sort of dictate uh, sort of the rules of engagement in the Japanese auto market. So uh, where I'm going with this is now um, as it relates to Europe's policies, as it relates to um, uh, electrification, vehicle electrification, and now most recently the United States, Toyota's put in a position where they are really backpedaling and they need a meaningful electrification strategy. And what that means is these are the largest markets, the United States and Europe. And I don't care what Toyota's sort of, uh, sort of outlook is on it is, uh, first of all, the types of vehicles, the variety of vehicles sold in the European market, in the American market, uh, the price points are being sold, uh, also consumer demand, uh, and, and also the purchasing power uh, from these markets far outweighs what you might see in markets, uh, uh, say, for example, India, uh, or let's say, for example, uh, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Namibia. So it is something that Toyota has to pay attention to. So they're looking at their portfolio of electric vehicles and uh it's really prompting a rethink. And, and there's some interesting nuggets from this, really interesting nuggets from this. And, and I will share this uh, on, on the Clean Earth Energy website, some links for you to follow, as well as here on YouTube, if you're watching this via YouTube. Um, so Toyota announced a couple of years ago, sort of a portfolio of electrified vehicles. Uh, we've not seen that materialize yet. Currently they have the um, uh, Subaru, I believe, uh, uh, Subaru Solterra EV in partnership with, uh, with Subaru Automobiles. Uh, they have the BZ4X uh, crossover vehicle and I believe the Lexus RZX. 
Now, uh, the BZ4X, uh, even though it was Toyota's first outright attempt at electrified um, uh, uh, automobile, uh, some issues with that, with the wheel falling off the vehicle, uh, which prompted, obviously, a recall of the vehicle, as well as uh, some negative press around the vehicle. Now, they're doing a rethink. And the BZ4X was built or sort of planned around a 2019 architecture called ETNGA. And that architecture really allowed uh, Toyota the opportunity to have really a hybrid um, sort of um, architecture where they could use a, a gasoline engine, a hybrid technology, gasoline and electrified battery, electrified vehicle, or an outright electrified uh, vehicle platform. The thinking was, was that electric vehicles would only represent about a third of Toyota sales globally, roughly 3.5 million vehicles. Toyota sells roughly 10 million vehicles annually, somewhere thereabouts. Well, uh, now that things have changed, uh, Toyota is really looking at a couple of things. One, the architecture itself, the cost of manufacture and production of electric vehicles is just not cost competitive. And how did Toyota arrive to that conclusion? Well, the number one electrified vehicle auto manufacturer, Tesla, uh, has certainly uh, gotten the cost down on producing their vehicles, the gigafactories that they've opened worldwide, uh, Shanghai, uh, Brandenburg, Germany, and then uh, most recently the Austin, Texas Gigafactory. So uh, now Toyota has effectively sort of uh, seen really sort of, I guess, I guess reality occur right in front of them that even if they wanted to make electric vehicle, uh, it just would not be uh, profitable for them or cost competitive for them. Uh, and then to make those vehicles in volume, also considering the policies between Europe and the US uh, and when we're talking about potentially their business being impacted where they have to mass produce these vehicles, it's a money losing proposition. Now, strikingly, Toyota invested in Tesla, uh, uh, in Tesla's sort of early stages and that was for a battery electrification of the RAV4. At the time, Tesla, uh, I'm sorry, Toyota concluded uh, Tesla doesn't have anything uh, that we're interested in and there's really nothing to learn from them. And uh, the also the other component when considering electrification, Toyota's view was that it would take decades for uh, electric vehicles to really gain mass consumer acceptance. Let's pause on that for a moment. Uh, I don't really need to spell that out for you. However, um, what we're seeing in terms of um, electric vehicle sales, I think in, in the most recent quarter alone, uh, electric vehicles in the U.S. represented 6% of total automotive sales. I believe last year might have been 2%. Uh, so we're seeing a threefold increase in the sales of electric vehicles. Uh, obviously, we've seen gas prices increase uh, due to geopolitical tensions, uh, cost of inflation as well. Uh, and so suddenly, uh, sort of Toyota's uh, very sort of, uh, I, I won't get into my opinion of the thinking, but uh, some, some uh, th their initial evaluation uh, seems to be um, proving itself uh, not to be the uh, sort of correct evaluation, um, uh, to, to put it in sort of the, the most kind of general terms. So they're rethinking that now. And also even Toyota Engineering um, has looked at their production process versus Tesla's production process. 
and you have the stamping now for Tesla Model Y, uh, for Tesla Model 3, and uh, in, in, in which really allows Tesla to integrate a lot of the, the battery structure into the chassis structure, uh, which is a huge cost savings and also really affects the engineering of the vehicle, the servicing of the vehicle. And now suddenly Toyota uh, has recognized that uh, it needs a seriously serious rethink. What I find interesting, however, is in this age of technology, uh, what could have possibly prompted Toyota to think that in emerging technology, that innovation in, in automotive and e-mobility could possibly be decades away. Uh, that's just unfathomable in my opinion. Uh, so stay tuned from what we hear on Toyota, but it seems like Toyota is really backpedaling and they're going to have to move fast. Uh, you've got uh, upstarts like Rivian, you've got Tesla, you've got uh, Ford uh, with, with uh, Mustang Mach-E, F-150 Lightning, Chevy Bolt, Chevy Silverado, EV, Hummer, uh, and now you've got Hyundai really, really on the move, uh, as well as some other uh, companies, um, uh, VinFast out of Vietnam, Foxconn, uh, the manufacturer who's known for producing uh, iPhones and iPads and, and MacBooks, uh, they're looking at uh, potentially, actually not potentially, they have aspirations. Uh, to deliver an electric vehicle as well. Uh, and so the, the, the landscape is changing. Uh, Volkswagen, uh, number two global auto manufacturer, uh, is doing well with, with their ID lineup uh, despite a part shortage, part shortage uh, which is delaying their vehicles. Uh, and I, I've talked about that in previous podcasts as well. And so now Toyota, uh, the, the, the largest of the largest manufacturers, is finding itself backpedaling. So Stay tuned and let's see what happens on that front. Okay, so uh, moving on now, um, just wanted to talk about a couple of um, uh, mobility-related initiatives. So IKEA, the large uh, sort of home furnishing company uh, based out of Sweden, uh, they've been doing some testing uh, in uh, Texas area. And what they're doing is working with Kodiak. And if you've not heard of Kodiak, Kodiak is an autonomous uh, vehicle uh, company and they've been piloting freight delivery using uh, uh, semi-trailers, 18-wheelers, uh, and um, and Kodiak has been around for a few years now and, and still piloting that technology. Um, so it, it's really the competitor to sort of the uh, Waymo uh, solution that that Waymo is is working with. Uh, 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 Google and Waymo is an alphabet company, uh, Waymo, Google for Uber Freight. And so now IKEA is working with, with Kodiak to test point-to-point um, -point freight delivery. And, and I believe there's a 300-mile stretch of highway between uh, Dallas and Houston, Texas, uh, where the autonomous vehicles are moving IKEA freight from point-to-point. -point. And um, why is that noteworthy? Well, obviously, uh, Texas is a very large state, um, uh, one of the largest economies in the U.S. as well as in the world, uh, and Texas has a lot of space. And so um, it's really the conditions are, are ripe for IKEA and Kodiak to test freight delivery uh, along the Texas highway system. Uh, and so uh, the goal there, obviously, is um, to introduce autonomy into IKEA's operations. Uh, there are certain things uh, in terms of driver shortages and, and safety and so on uh, 
that IKEA has to consider as part of uh, its, its operational model. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see sort of what the developments are between IKEA and Kodiak as it relates to autonomous vehicle testing, uh, especially when we talk about a, a fairly uh, young technology and, and uh, some controversy around the technology to a household name like IKEA. Uh, so stay tuned uh, for that and, and let's see sort of where that goes. Okay, so um, that's going to be the podcast for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, but before we, uh, before I, I close out the podcast, um, I should say it's been a long hiatus uh, since I've done a podcast. And uh, actually, I've missed you guys. I've missed doing this podcast. Uh, but one of the things that brought me back was, uh, again, the importance of, of the message as it relates to energy transition, renewable energy, uh, CO2, uh, uh, CO2 emissions reduction, and also... Um, electrification and e-mobility, uh, but uh, you guys uh, really seem to find it important too based on all the metrics that I've seen. And so effectively, uh, I did uh, did a bit of soul searching and looking at the data, and now I'm back. Um, and so uh, there are going to be some changes, but uh, nothing that's really going to diverge too heavily from what I've been doing over the past few months with Clean Earth Energy. Uh, but the website will undergo a bit of a revamp, uh, so more sort of uh, uh, you know focused content, uh, things that are are more relevant, uh, and and I think uh, things that really sort of relate more to what people are interested in and care about. So uh, thanks for checking out this podcast. Once again, my name is Mark White. Uh, please hit the like and subscribe button, uh, share with family and friends, and don't forget to follow me on your favorite platform. I'm on all of them, YouTube, uh, Stitcher, Apple Music, uh, Google, Google, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, and Spotify as well. So thanks for checking me out. I really do appreciate it. Appreciate your support, and I'll see you in the next one. Thanks.